Hi everybody and welcome to another edition of the South America Football Show on the World Football Index. Joining me tonight is, of course, Adam in Chile. Uh, how are we? Been a while since I spoke to Unipod. Yeah, I'm fine. I've just about got over Chile not qualifying for the World Cup, I think. <laughs> that was probably the last time we spoke, I imagine. But yeah, yeah it's... Uh, <laughs> It's all good. Looking forward to the World Cup draw now on the 1st of December. Looking forward to discussing Peru and Colombia and other South American issues on this pod tonight. I'm still a bit of a... I've got my black armband on for Northern Ireland still. I haven't, haven't been able to get beyond that yet. I can't even think about the World Cup draw. I can't get, it's just, what, do you get, what can you do about it? Um, second up, we have in Colombia, as always. God, it's been even longer since I spoke to him. It's Simon Edwards. Simon, how are we? Yeah, not too bad. I'm a little bit sick, so I'm a bit husky today, um, but I'm good. Uh, some underwhelming Colombian performances, but, you know, we're in the World Cup, can't complain. So, yeah, looking forward to getting into some of these uh, topics today. I think it's more about not getting injured than anything else these days, Simon. You know, they're, they're friendlies now, you know. It's like Brazil games, I thought, were sort of, you know, it's half pace sort of thing. But anyhow, listen, we have a guest today. And uh, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Peruvian victory and making, you know, the 32nd team to make the World Cup. Um, and we have someone from Peru, Adam, I believe, to to discuss a, a multitude of madness, I think is the best way of calling uh, what happened uh, in that qualifier and, and the scene certainly after. Yeah, indeed, we've got um, Luis uh, Miguel with us. Maybe you want to introduce yourself, Luis, a little bit and tell the WFI listeners a bit about yourself, first of all, and then we get into the glorious night that you um, celebrated last night. Yeah, sure. Hi, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm Luis Miguel Echegaray, and um, I'm the head of uh, Spanish and Latino content at Sports Illustrated here in the U.S. Uh, I'm Peruvian, uh, as previously mentioned, but uh, I did spend some time in England. I grew up in England for a little bit. I left Peru when I was 12. And then I uh, lived in England for a little bit, and then I moved all the way back here in the U.S. And I got to say, I, I'm really, I, I love this international feel, how everybody's in a different country. It, it feels very important right now. So, so thank you so much for having me. No, you, you're very welcome. Well, last night, well, and, we, and we were t- talking pre-pod about our ages. Now, I, I can never remember a World Cup with, with Peru in it, and you were just one year old when Peru won it last time. So how does it feel to, to be in the World Cup? Yeah, you, you, you know what's funny? When people ask me that question and they, they try and connect it to the fact that I'm only, I was only one when it happened, it's funny. Every single Peruvian, and this is the beauty of this game, this is a beautiful thing about football, that from whether you're 75 years old and you remember Cubillas in you know, the 70s, or you're my age, and you remember Paulo Guerrero coming in and everything, or even younger when you're 17 or 18. Every single Peruvian knows and is excited and cried and because they understand the struggle. It's so much more than just the fact that we haven't made it since 1982. It's about the fact that this entire nation has been suffering in so many ways than just the fact that we didn't make the World Cup. All the way from, you know, inconsistency on the pitch to, you know, player indiscipline to, of course, the tragedies that happened 
with the Peruvian team years and years ago. This is just something that's felt by everybody. And it, last night after the whistle blew, I, I was watching here in New York City. I was on WhatsApp with my family in Peru. I, I had some cousins in England. I have, you know, we were all crying, celebrating. I'm sure I woke a lot of neighbors up. It, it was just, it's just such an incredible feeling that only, only I'm telling you, I, I used to work for The Guardian and I wrote a thing called the, ba the Ballad of the Choke. And it was basically about the relationship I had with my father and how he introduced me to, to the game, but mainly about Peruvian football. And, and only a Peruvian can tell you how this feels. It's, it's just unbelievable. It must be an incredible feeling. It was a poor first leg over there in New Zealand. A draw was a fair result, but you had some scares near the end when Chris Wood came on, though. Yeah, absolutely. As soon as Chris came on, even a 60% Chris Wood, uh, it was incredibly nerve-wracking. I agree. It was. Um, I remember tweeting about it. I, I thought it was actually Peru's worst performance in the entire campaign, all the way from the very beginning. Um, I thought it didn't look anything like Peru that we've seen throughout the last two years or whatever, or since Gareca came in and, and started implementing his philosophy. Yeah, a lot of it had to do with the wind, I think, that, you know, Wellington's win. Like, really, the, Peru is not, you know, Gareca's Peru is not about, you know, long-balling it. It's all about playing it on the ground. And if we do long-ball it, it's because we're aiming for Paulo Guerrero. And when Guerrero's not there, then it becomes extra difficult. Um, the other reason I think jet lag was also an issue, but... I mean, I have to give credit to the way that New Zealand really just stuck to their guns. Uh, they really only know one system, and that's hold it, leave three at the back the entire time, no matter where you are, uh, defend the midfield, and just, you know, Winston Reid played well, Tommy Smith. Uh, but I think the second leg, uh, I, I'm sure you'll ask me about that in a second, but I think Tommy Smith's absence was more important to me uh, than, than Chris Wood not starting. I thought he was... Excellent. Um, I'm a Peruvian, but I'm also an Aston Villa fan, so I watch Tommy Smith a lot in the championship, and uh, you know he's a very important player for them. Yeah, he 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 definitely was a big loss in that second leg because um, he's he's a bit of a leader there at the back for them. But let's let's stick to talking about your boys, Peru, and and what a job Gareca has done. I loved his Vélez Sarsfield side in Argentina so much so I bought a shirt when I went over to Argentina a few years ago. Um, <laughs> But it, you know, it's it's been a remarkable journey for him, really, with this Peru side. I wasn't overly impressed with Peru last night in that second leg, but they got the job done. And I think, kind of, in the past, maybe Peru would have choked in that scenario. No, one hundred percent. I mean, I'll go to the first part of your comments. Uh, to me, Ricardo Gareca deserves uh, Manager of the Year, Coach of the Year whatever accolade is coming up or uh, should have come up when you think about things like the FIFA awards and, you know, you see your sedans and everything getting, getting uh, accolades uh, and rightly so it's all great. But I, I really need your listeners to understand, just like you said, what Ricardo Gareca has done for Peru since he came in is incredible. Not just because of the way that, you know, the things that he has done on the, on the pitch. He's an extremely good chameleon of the game. He acclimates depending on what uh, the opposition is. When we played Argentina, he understood what to do. When we played Bolivia at home, he understood what to do. You know, But to me, what's more important is the fact that he basically 
completely changed the mentality of every single player. He brought in psychologists to make sure that they understood, you know, what it's like to play under immense pressure. And that kind of connects to my second point, which is what you brought up. They weren't great yesterday, but like you said, I think any other time before Gareca, this would have been a loss. Uh, make no mistake about it. You know, there was definitely, uh, there would have been a, an element of choking at some point. The fact that the, the pressure was just too much. But Gareca has made, I mean, one of the things that I saw was when the players were singing the national anthem and you saw uh, uh, Renato Tapia closing his eyes, he was not only so passionate, he was extremely focused. And that kind of gave me the whole element to me. I felt very safe and secure the moment I saw that image because I thought, you know what, there's going to be times that we're going to struggle and maybe not find you know, the right spaces to, to get inside um, the final third. But no matter what, I, I really did not see us uh, losing this because of just the amount of confidence that he has implemented into the squad. Yeah, and last night also, you know, a couple of your key players came to the fore, really, didn't they? It was a really impressive performance from Christian Cueva. Some of his touches throughout throughout the 90 minutes were brilliant to see and I, and I think he's going to be one to watch for uh, for many people next year in the World Cup because he's a player who's spent I think nearly all of his career in in South America if not all and so he he won't be so well known to European audiences um, a player who is known to European audiences scored your first goal and that was Jefferson Farfan and his journey with this Peru side has been quite interesting because I believe when Gareca first took over he was kind of sidelined a little bit, wasn't he? Yeah, you know, it was kind of a bit of a fairy tale that he was the player who got the first goal last night. Yeah, absolutely. So you bring in two players there. So I'll start with Farfan. Um, and yes, you're you're 100% correct. At the very beginning of this, Gareca did not include Farfan, and it was for uh, a few reasons. I mean, and it kind of uh, is because of what I said before. Uh, when Gareca came in. One of his most important things, the, the biggest value to him, was the fact that this team understood what it, it meant to wear that shirt and what it meant to represent this team. And uh, at the time, Farfan was play, playing for Al Jazeera, um, and uh, you know, for you know, it came for around six million pounds when he went in there. He was earning a little bit of money, up to ten million a year. You know, so to him, I really felt that. The moment Gareca came in was bad timing for Farfan at the time. But as the year progressed and as he left Al Jazeera and moved to uh, Lokomotiv Moscow at the beginning of this year or earlier this year, no, it was around, um, it was around, yeah, it was around January uh, of this year, things began changing for Farfan. He, he, he lost a little bit of weight. He focused a little more. He was totally happy playing the central road as well as, central road as, well as the right wing. And really, that just like like timing, like beautiful happenstance, you know, Gareca saw the determination and luckily, like good timing, he came in and helped. Now, Christian Cueva, I've been saying for a very long time, even, you know, way before that this is a player that everybody needs to watch. And luckily, he did not disappoint last night. Like you said, he was magnificent last night. I mean, it was his break on the left side and his holding the ball and. You know, that beautiful little dink pass to Farfana made it one nothing. Uh, really was so special. And I agree. Cueva is somebody to watch in the World Cup for sure. You know, all the way from Alianza Lima 
to Toluca to Sao Paulo. You know, Cueva has just been getting better and better and better and better. And hopefully, with everything that goes with it, he'll be, um, you know, he'll still be, uh, he'll be 26 uh, very soon next week, I think. So he'll be 26 by the time he goes to the World Cup. Perfect timing. And I, I agree. I, I thought he was magnificent last night. Yeah, so there was also some controversies uh, last night, including the New Zealand bus from the airport to the to the hotel the, the, the day before the game. Apparently it took the scenic route, according to the New Zealanders. And also there was fireworks going off at 3am in the morning and Peruvian fighter jets flying close to the hotel waking up the players even later in the morning. So these are kind of things we've covered before on, on the South American football show. So they come as a great surprise, but that's, that's kind of all part of the home advantage, isn't it, Luis? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, like you said earlier, and uh, of course your co-hosts uh, in, in this pod and all your listeners know, listen, like I, I'm, not, I'm not here to defend what happened? I mean, obviously, they're dirty tricks and they're kind of uh, childish and can also be harmful. But uh, this is America. This is what happens every single weekend, uh, whether you go to Argentina or Colombia uh, or Chile or Peru. Like, you know, it, this is something that's just part of the culture. I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying that, you know, it, it, it was definitely a, a situation that, even more so when you're not a South American or you don't understand the South American game and New Zealander will come in and be like, what the hell's going on? And yes, the fireworks were ridiculous. I remember my uncle sent me a video uh, literally as it was happening and I just couldn't believe it. I mean, it's not. I, but I will say that, you know, in the end, I don't think that that's the reason why Peru won. Like, that's not, you no, know, me it didn't neither, help. Me neither, no. So... So I, I don't I, I think that it definitely didn't help or anything, but like I said, I think that the better team won regardless. Peru go into pot two uh, for the World Cup draw. Is is there any countries you'd quite like to face from the other pots or ones you want to avoid? Pot two is obviously really great. It's from a Peruvian perspective. At this point, every Peruvian, including Gareca, um, I think he just, you know, we all are just happy to be part of the tournament. I think that obviously ignoring or avoiding, I believe, teams like Colombia is going to be a big deal because I, I, I think we're better off against teams that don't necessarily know us that well. But at this point, I think bring anybody on. To be honest, like anything can happen. I think that. Gareca is going to be able to strategize and understand the opposition better than most managers. And whether it's, you know, somebody like uh, Portugal that comes in or Russia, the host that will probably be in our pod, maybe in our group. I'm sorry. I think that Peru will be ready. I will say, though, that I do think one of the African nations is going to do very well. I did say that uh, with uh, I mean, I know we're going off tangent a little bit, but somebody like Egypt that's really well managed by Hector Cooper you know, led by the wonderful Mohamed Salah. Teams like that, at some point, uh, I would rather avoid. I feel like they have something to prove and stuff. But uh, at this point, bring anybody on. Yeah, I, I think it's possible for for one group at the World Cup to have um, four Argentine managers. So, Simon, I believe that you have a couple of questions which have come in for Luis as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're going to answer a few questions uh, the rest of the show. 
Um, while we have Luis, I know you have to head off. We've got a couple here for you for Peru. Um, so Rob Lawshaw uh, on, on Facebook asked, are Peru and Peruvians aware of how iconic their red sash football shirt is globally? And will the 2018 be as stylish as the 1970 and 1978 versions? So do, do Peruvians understand how big that kit is? I think many people in, in Europe and in England, that some of their first memories are related to, to seeing Peru at the World Cup, seeing some of their, some of their football and that iconic kit, uh, kind of an exotic, uh, exotic team for, for your English fans. So are Peruvians aware of how important that team is and, and that particular kit if, uh, for European and English fans? Yeah, the answer is yes. Peruvians, no, no. I mean, obviously, it's a little different from a Peruvian perspective because it means so much more than just the aesthetic look of it. Uh, you know, the the red and white being symbolic with 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 the flag and everything that we represent. Uh, but yes, a- absolutely. I mean, I remember leaving. I mean, when I left Peru when I was twelve and I moved to England, and aside from the fact that people were calling me Paddington, the, the one of the other things that they would say is. You know, uh, your team has, has the greatest uh, shirt that, that any nation has ever worn. And it, I mean, I do know that also that every single person, unless you were from New Zealand, was really rooting for Peru. And a lot of the reasons was because of that shirt. I mean, it's an iconic, beautiful shirt. And I think that you, I don't think you'll see many changes to it. Why, why break something or fix something that's not that's not broken kind of thing? You know, but yeah, absolutely. We know how, how people love that shirt and I'm sure the Federation does and I don't think many changes will happen to it. Oh, that's great. I had one last one as well uh, from Ian Lewis again on, on Facebook. Um, he says, coming from a city in which it's very simple choice between red or blue, he's interested in about derbies in Peru. He's got a couple of questions for Adam as well and Chile. We'll get to it in a minute. But he says, uh, in Peru, the derby between Alianza and Universitario, uh, he's interested in finding out a little bit about the kind of weather the rivalry based upon is it is it is it traditional powers against new you know challenge or uh, he's also heard there's some like racial lines to the derby is that true um, could you tell us a little bit about that derby improve between Alianza and Universitario yeah I'll start with a story actually when I was seven I went to and my school that I went to actually I went to Markham School which is actually the school where New Zealand was training. So when I saw them train there, it was kind of <laughs> interesting. But anyway, that you know, I, I, I go off tangent. So I'll give you a little story in terms of Universitario and, and um, Alianza Lima. You know, it started in 28, you know, around around then. That's when the Clásico Peruano, um, or El Clásico de los Clásicos del Fútbol Peruano, um, kind of started. But, you know, when I was a kid, it was pretty damn big for, you know, many reasons, obviously, we had, um, you know, so basically in my school, half the, half the, uh, half the school was Alianza Lima, half the, the school was Universitario, and, and one kid was a Sporting Cristal around that time. So, you know, it was, it's, it's a really huge, huge derby. Um, Cubillas obviously, uh, belonging to Alianza Lima, uh, you know, uh, Norberto Solano, um, you know, who also played in many of those derbies. It's, it's, it's an incredibly important derby, but nowadays, unfortunately, the problem has been that Alianza Lima has not been as, uh, you know, powerful as they used to be. Universitario, of course, you know, uh, especially a few years ago, had a fantastic squad, which actually included a lot of the players that we saw yesterday. So, you know, they've definitely, you know, grown up in stature and they've developed a lot of really talented players. 
Um, in terms of the racial thing, I mean, Dad, yeah, I mean, it's happened for, for me, but it's not just been uh, those two teams. Issue in, in across all of South America when it comes to racism against uh, Afro-Caribbean, Latinos, Peruvians, all the way to, you know, mestizos, to a- Asian Peruvians. And it's, it's a big issue that still needs to be fixed because, and it's not just a Peruvian issue. But one thing that definitely changed the course of it was when Cubillas became the hero of the country. And that really helped uh, make people understand just how we're, we're trying to be just one nation. It doesn't matter, you know, where your race or, you know, whatever it is is from. But yes, it's an incredibly important derby. Um, Alliance uh, Lima, that's kind of the club of the people, no? In, in Peru, they like to say. The reason I say that is because I know that they have kind of a... A, a friendship with Colo Colo, the biggest team here in Chile. Is is that true? Is that kind of more of the people's club there in Peru? Yeah, I mean, definitely when it all began, it, it, it became, like you said, kind of like, basically, it, it was the most popular side in Peru, and it was because of those reasons. It was founded around, you know, the 1900s, uh, you know, located in, you know, sort of like the, the working class side of downtown Lima, so because of those uh, because of those roots, they definitely stayed around, especially for the 80s. Now, one thing that really made it really important, and yes, you're correct, they definitely finished. Here's what happened with Colo Colo in 1987. Um, you know, there was the the famous uh, tragic yeah. air disaster. A few years ago, a few years ago, I wrote an article about that. Yeah, I was, I was just about to introduce that into this conversation. Yeah, go on. No, I'm so glad you wrote about it. I hope a lot of people read it because, you know, um, and I'm sure it it adds way more context than what I'm about to say. But basically, it was a really uh, talented Alianza Lima team. There was an, you know, air crash. And uh, basically what had to happen was uh, members of, you know, after the the, the tragic event, Alianza Lima had to be, or at least the championship had to be completed with members of the youth team and a few players on loan from, from, from Colo Colo. So that kind of started the friendship between both sides. Um, but yes, that really helped a lot understand the popularity of the club, especially with players like, you know, Cesar Cueto and, and Teofilo Covillas. Cool, that's great. I, I believe uh, our host Dave also has a question. Indeed, Lewis. Um, I'm lucky enough, I suppose, to remember your, your two World Cup appearances. And, you know, given the fact that uh, I think in 78, you exceeded all expectations, probably, um, you know, by topping your group and going out into the second phase, which was a, into, into a format which is very, very different than what we we have today as a World Cup. That that would have been exceeding expectations. Then in '82, we saw, you know, the opposite of that, where you were rock bottom of the group. In the country at the moment, has it, do, you, do you feel there's been any sort of time to reflect and and you know what is the real expectation going into this World Cup as a nation? Do you feel that getting out of the group is is attainable for you? Is just going there enough for the country, or do you think that you need to get out of that group? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I, I think that it's going to happen in stages. To be honest, I think that right now we are in such a uh, sort of euphoric, uh, you know, excited emotional state that going to the World Cup right now is all that we want. It doesn't matter. I think that once the draw happens in December and we start basically understanding the realism and the actual, oh my God, we're going to the World Cup, that's when things will become a little clearer 
And then that's when I think we'll start thinking things like, I think we can get out of this group. I think that, as um, Adam said it earlier, the fact that we're in part two gives us a realistic judgment and analysis that we can get out of the group. There is, And I think that we're living in a time, actually, definitely in the last uh, seven years, where I, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but like I think that international teams have bec- like the level of... You know, it's the finest margins, Lewis, I absolutely. think is what you're saying. It, you know, the international football... It's not like club football. Um, you know, and, and certainly the, the years that you were there, 78 and 82, were a completely different world again. The world has become very, very even. You know, the African teams have, have come through. The Asian teams are coming through. The margins are much finer. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you said exactly what I wanted to say. I, I think that because of those reasons and because of the way that Gareca has elevated this team. And let's remember now, like Paulo Guerrero, hopefully, touch wood, Let's see what happens. But if he's part of the squad and everybody's healthy and we're looking good, why? I mean, why not? Uh, Paolo Guerrero, uh, to anybody that really doesn't understand that striker, is one of the best strikers in his position, right, that anybody could ever have. When During the whole World Cup campaign, this man, you know, did so much against people like Diego Godin. He completely bullied him when, when Peru beat uh, Uruguay 2-1 in Lima. You know, to Otamendi at, at home, away at Argentina. So when we, if Peru has a really healthy squad, there is no reason in the world why we can't get out of that group or whatever group it is. I have very fond memories of, of uh, your time in '78 uh, because I, I remember the British media completely wrote you off because mm. Scotland were in your group, yeah. and uh, I think it was the first game where it was Joe Jordan, I believe. I got still, you, you never forget when Joe Jordan scores, no taste in the arm and air. And, you know, it was like, here we go, you know, Peru or nothing. And then you came back and won 3-1. The, the whole build-up to the World Cup, any of the, the preview programs in the UK, would have very much, you know, Peru are, are not fancy. You were expected to be bottom group because you had the Netherlands as well. It, it was a fantastic showing. Uh, and, you know, I, I wish you all the best for it because, as I say, those shirts as well. Fantastic. <laughs> out, out of this world, my man. Okay, Luis, thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. I believe you, you have to you have to get off now. Just before you go, is there anything you want to plug? Maybe give our listeners your Twitter handle as everybody should follow you. First of all, let me let me thank you again so much, guys. I think this podcast is fantastic. I think the work that you guys do is amazing and I, I hope that you get even more listeners because conversations like this need to happen, especially for a British or European audience to understand the beauty of South American football. So thank you again. Yeah, you can all follow me if you want to uh, uh, at L M Echegaray. So at L M E C H E G A R A Y. Actually, Sports Illustrated has just launched uh, SITV, which is a bunch of really amazing videos, documentaries, movies. Um, original programming on Amazon videos. So if you go on Amazon videos and search for SITV, you should be able to find it. And I'll be hosting a, a, a show, Planet Football, with Grant Wall, a very uh, well-known name here in, in the world of soccer in the US. So hopefully everybody can tune in. Okay, we look forward to that. Thank you so much for coming on, and Lewis. Cheers. Thank you so much, guys. And congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, so that brings us to the end of the first part of this week's South American Football Show. We have a bit to cover, uh, so we decided to break it in two. Um, Part two of this pod will be out within a couple of days of of this one. 
So just one last thanks to the guys. Uh, as always, you can, you'll, you'll find our Twitter handles there, uh, tagged on Twitter. And uh, until the next one, thanks to the listener, and it's goodbye. <laughs>